0: you so listening to SFM Literature here on SAFM, hopefully educating you just a little too. Well, Open City is the title of a novel by Teju Cole and it was released back in 2011 to much acclaim as a really original piece of writing. Nigerian-American Cole, who was over here last week in Cape Town for the Open Book Festival, though, he's not just an author of novels but a writer of tweets as well as a taker of pictures. Well, I spoke to him during the fest, and I asked him first what he saw himself as professionally.
1: I suppose most people know me as a writer, as a novelist. I've written uh, this novel, Open City, which was very well uh, received in the U.S. Um, It had a very good critical reception. But, you know, the way you phrase your question, it makes me think that maybe my first description of myself should be that I'm lucky. Not a writer, not, not a photographer, not a creative person, but a fortunate person. And the reason I say that is because I have had the opportunity to pre- present my creativity in different ways to uh, many different kinds of audiences. And I think that's sort of what comes first, is that if you have the go- good fortune where you're working, come before an audience, it opens up other doors. Now, it happens that like, the primary form of that creativity is writing. I write fiction, I write non-fiction, I do a little bit of journalism and journalism. Uh, I do all kinds of small, creative types of things online. But almost as important to me is photography as well, which I'm not as recognized for. I mean, what I mean by that is that for my written work, I've won awards and I've traveled all over the world for it. But photography is something I actually spend more time on. But I think I'm still very much engaged in the struggle of where that photography is going and what it might mean because I'm not a photojournalist, but on the other hand, I'm not a conceptual artist, I'm not an out-and-out art photographer, I'm a street photographer and that's a, that's a genre that has a very small slice of, in terms of modern critical reception. Um, so short answer to your question, I'm a writer and a photographer. But the real deep answer is that I'm somebody who's been fortunate in presenting his work.
0: So you're a lucky guy, <laughs> I can't help feeling that uh, you're being quite modest there. Um, you do all these different things because you can did you study for any one thing in particular?
1: Yes, I studied um, art history in the U.S. I was born in the U.S., but I went back to Nigeria as a baby, and I was there until I finished high school, and after high school, I went back to the United States, and I went to college there, and I studied art history, and uh, I ended up sort of getting a master's degree in art history from the University of London, and I went to, I came back to the U.S., and I went to Columbia, and I did a lot of the work for a PhD in art history. That's my formal training and uh, I do teach in that area still, in addition to teaching literature. But I think for the work I do now, the most important part of that training was that it taught me habits of attention. It taught me how to be a very patient person in terms of describing, but it also gave me a notational feeling for history, for knowing that there are things in the archives, there are ways in which we can enter the imaginative spaces of what is no longer visible so that's what art history did for me and in addition to all that it also just gave me the delight of really enjoying art which is important to me so yeah
0: so it's expanded your mind clearly but i'm going to digress just for a minute here from from the literature world which is what we're really here to talk about to to, into art history because one of the things you say I think it's on your website, that you talk about how differently people consume media in New York to Lagos. And we'll get on to Lagos in just a minute. And when you say art history, the very phrase conjures something terribly European. As somebody who grew up in, in Nigeria, spent a lot of time both in the UK and now in the States, art history, do you feel as an individual, do you, you know, does that include world art? Does it, Is there enough Africa in the art history that you've studied?
1: Well, of course. um, My master's at SOAS, for example, was in African art. And even though I was doing my PhD in 16th century Dutch art, that's just an expression of the breadth of my own interests. Now, when I teach art history, for the most part, I'm teaching contemporary African art. You know, I think there's very much, for me, a sense of how important it is to articulate our circumstances and our experiences whether it's the experience of living in a place like New York City, which has a past that is no longer visible or the experience of being an African in the world and needing to present some form of African modernity to people who don't know anything about Africa. In history, in the study of history there's always been this old question of does Africa have a history? We no longer ask that question, of course it does and it's an important one and people study and write it and in the same sense Africa has an art history. You know, we're not in an ethnographic present, an ethnographic eternity that doesn't change. There are things that move around, and there's innovation, and there's engagements with the wider cosmopolitan world. So art history might have an elite or European connotation, but for me, it's it's actually just a way of... Maybe a, a more accurate title for it would be the study of visual culture, which then sort of bleeds over into my writing on photography which I do quite a bit of these days. Yeah. I'm
0: going to br- bring you back to writing let's go back to The Open City you wrote it a couple of years ago now it's been called many things it's been um, you know the accolades have been many but it's also been called many things stream of consciousness meditation swirl of stories contemplative all of those things do you yourself uh, put it into any sort of genre did you think about that when you were writing it did you think I am writing this type of book?
1: Actually no I mean what I knew was that I was writing a patient book and that the most important part of the book was not the plot, it was the language. And that's what I worked on. That's a priority that I tried to, to focus on in writing it. But no, I didn't necessarily say to myself, oh, I'm writing a modernist novel, or you know, it has to be stream of consciousness or anything like that. Of course, I'm, I'm a serious reader and I'm aware of my antecedents and I love Joyce and I love Wolf and I love modernist fiction. But I just wanted to find a form that answered to the story I wanted to tell, which was a story of loss and mourning and the past and intellectual formation and repressed emotion. And then the language just led from there. I feel as if I understand a lot better what I was doing in the book now that it's been out and I've had a chance to talk about it and read what other people have written about it. That has all been illuminating for me. But going in, I was just simply trying to create a space in which something could happen.
0: Quite a personal space, it feels like. Um, I imagine that it's not an autobiography, uh, an autobiography, but I imagine it also it has very autobiographical elements. Julius, and I have to say, why Julius? Mm. But Julius uh, thinks and sees and experiences a lot of things, which I, it feels like you've obviously experienced yourself. Why the name Julius? And... Are a lot of those experiences clearly your own?
1: About those experiences, most of them are not. It's a very personal book, but I'm not that person. So it's about the first-person fictional, the personal, diaristic, memoiristic, first-person-invented self. And that was an important project for me in this book, to create an imagined world that felt like a very real one. Julius, the name, actually, it's it's weird because... Julius's name is Julius simply because his mother's name is Julianne. And I wanted this pair of names. I mean, it's, it's a name that's used in Nigeria, but I wanted this sort of resonance between these two people who are estranged from each other. Julianne is a person that he does not want to talk about in the book, but by foregrounding her in terms of her name and all of that, she's actually at the heart of the book. This estrangement is central to his life. That's a pretty straightforward example of something that's not autobiographical at all. My mother's not German, and. You know, and I'm not estranged from her, and my father is still alive, and I'm not estranged from him. So all those biographical details are invented.
0: Julius does a lot of things. He studied at Nigerian Military School. He's a psychiatrist. Oh. Are these things that you know about?
1: No, never been to the Nigerian Military School, and uh, I'm not a psychiatrist. <laughs> I think I used to be one. I used to want to be one. I was fascinated by this possibility of interpreting the world on the basis of what could not be seen, helping people in who were having problems with their inner lives but in a way I guess a a novelist is somebody who provides a kind of solace not in a medical way but it's not that far off but yeah, again, all, all those elements are invented but hopefully they feel real
0: a novelist is also, in some ways, somebody who needs necessarily to listen to other people's stories to get them, and Julius, and, and, and you, I imagine, does a lot of listening. He sits on the plane with Dr. Mayotte, that's her, her name, and um, speaks to a young man in a prison in Queens and listens with intent to these stories. Are you a bit of a, a collector of people's stories?
1: Yeah, I, think most the, I am a collector of stories, but more to the point, I'm a collector of little moments. I'm an observer of the world and that feeds into my practice of photography also. I look for what is a little bit off in the world, what is a little bit, what is unusual, what is notable and I note it down. For writing a novel you collect some stories, you invent some, you half remember some and you sort of patch them all together to create a novel. I do like listening to people though because Yeah, the complexity of the world is what's interesting. Just as every human group is sophisticated in culture, there are no tribals, there are no primitives, every culture is sophisticated. Every culture that exists in the present day is sophisticated. In the same way, every human life is actually intricate and subtle. Nobody is a cartoon, which is interesting.
0: I want to come to those small moments and I think that's another thing that you do. You have uh, you're working on something called small fates which is very much to do with something called Fey divers, which are it's untranslatable but, but briefly little incidents. So what are those Fey divers? Because in some ways open city is full of Fey divers, but you've made an art of it. You are treating Fey divers. Yeah. What are they?
1: So Fey divers are a French journalistic practice for the most part quite old, they've been around for a few centuries for as long as they've been newspapers but English newspapers sometimes have them little news of the weird compressed news items that don't merit a longer full story usually of some kind of disaster or loss or mayhem something that's happened to a private citizen somewhere a gunshot accidentally went off you know, somebody attacked somebody, a car went off a cliff or something around 1906 the French journalist Félix Fénéon Began to write them in a new way, with more compression and wit, dark humor, and those were collected after his death, and uh, they were translated into into English as novels in three lines. While I was doing my research for my next book on Lagos, I started to find lots and lots of crazy stories of this kind, and I just thought it would be interesting to also write them in that style. And the fact that Twitter is, they just gave a perfect means of disseminating them. So it became a kind of practice that was similar to haiku or to poetry or to writing aphorisms. There was a kind of linguistic discipline and polish and compression that is almost the opposite of what I did with my novel, which is, you know, 280 pages of a very slow meditative story. Meanwhile, these are self contained stories that are over in two sentences and they deliver a gut punch. I sometimes think that. Open City is one single Fay Diver that's been stretched out over the length of almost 300 pages. A Fay in uh, extreme slow motion. And I called my practice of these uh, Fay Diver, I call them small fates. And that was just sort of like a very light pun on, on the, on, on the Fay Diver, which means something else, of course. But also a, a way of acknowledging the fact that above all, we are just all subject to fate we subject to fate in ways that we can not quite make sense of
0: the other thing about it of course is that it's brought together a centuries old practice or a centuries old device right up to speed with today's twitter which, it, which is in itself an extraordinary sort of connection so small fates um, and I'm, I'm going back to your website your, yes. uh, where there's a wonderful photograph of, of um, a man in a traffic queue um, you know there's just sort of a moment and it's almost like a visual Fede is isn't it so so um, you seem to have so many things that you are busy with, one of which is your book about Lagos. Yes. How is that going? and What do you intend that to be? Well,
1: I had a, a shorter fiction that came out a few years ago, published by a Nigerian company, Cassava uh, Republic, called Every Day for so with a Thief. And that was about Lagos. And in a way, that's also, it, it was my first book. It's also my next book, because now it's going to be published in the U.S. and in the U.K. next year. But then my next, next book is uh, non-fiction about Lagos. And it's interesting, uh, coming back to Lagos as a creative, imaginative space after having written a novel about New York. A novel about New York that almost, to some people, kind of made me a New York expert and I'll be asked to talk on panels about New York City and about history and all of that. And I'm doing similar but different kind of thinking about Lagos and its past. You know, it's going well, it's tough. For every book, what you need to do is find the voice. And I'm trying to find the voice for this new book. I'm working on it. I had a piece that will be in the n- next next book, in the non-fiction book, that came out in Grants this summer, uh, a piece called Water Has No Enemy. It's an endlessly fascinating place. 21 million people live in Lagos. It's a very difficult place, but it's a place that the world ought to know the true story about. And that's what's motivating my writing.
0: That is quite a responsibility to be undertaking, but I'm sure mm-hmm. you will do it justice. So finding a voice is one problem. Finding the words is another issue and you seem to have a great number of them up your sleeve but one of the arts of being a writer and using all those words is not falling into the, into the cliché trap and I think that you also have a, a little bit of a moment where you considered long and hard platitudes and the cliché and how important it is not to use them but at the same time how difficult it is not to use them.
1: Well, when you're, when you're a writer I think at some point if you've had a work published you do sort of ask yourself Am I going to end up with a shelf full of books? Uh, well, there be books when I'm an old man. That's a different question. But am I going to end up with a... Sh- am I going to be like Balzac, who's written, like, endlessly, or Victor Hugo or something? Or are you going to be at the end of your life and be like Flaubert with, or, or Joyce with four or five books? What kind of writer are you? How slow do you write and why? And I do feel as if I'm one of the slower ones. And, you know, Flaubert took a famously long time to write Madame Bovary. But what it means is that now you read that book, which is written in the 19th century, and it's so insightful, it's so intricate, so shorn of cliché, that it is just an endless pleasure to read. I do feel as if there's a kind of war against cliché that I'm doing in my head when I'm writing. and It's like a real war because it's so easy to be susceptible to it. Um, We all gravitate towards standard formulations. There's lazy thought that's there. But laziness of language is very intimately connected to laziness of thought. How do you make the world fresh? Make it new. It takes time. It takes editing. It takes making down notes of things that either has not been noticed before or has not been expressed in quite this way. So that's been, that's been my struggle. And that's why... So like this piece I said that came out in Granta about from my new Lagos project, that piece took me... You know, it took me about three months to write it. It's not even really that long. I think maybe it's 4,000 words or something. But you know, you sort of go through every line and you you ask yourself, is it stated as plainly as it can be? And does it give as complex an emotional register as those simple words would bear?
0: It requires infinite patience, which is a word that you've used a number of times. And is it a pleasure?
1: Yes, I mean, I think what it, when it comes down to it, it, it actually is about having a certain relationship to language where it's, it is a, it's a tool, it's a device that you learn how to deploy. For me, language is basically this magical substance that I can use to transfer wordless thoughts from my head into your head. I'm thinking something, I write it down, you read it, now you're thinking that thing so there's something magical about it and there's something magical about playing with a sentence and taking it through twelve drafts until there's a kind of precision about it it looks as if it's a first draft but you know that you've invigilated every word every comma it's difficult but when it's done right it's also a consolation just because as human beings we are attracted to things that are beautiful and exact the same way we might feel when we see somebody who dances very energetically, very beautifully, and in a very precise way. There's something about that precision that gives us pleasure, the pleasure of the well-made.
0: Lastly, it must be quite difficult being you, because you take on experiences quite intensely, quite deeply. Um, imagine that there are a few moments which you just let them go. Uh, at the end of the day, do you, do you process all that you've taken in in your mind, like here in South Africa? <laughs>
1: Thank you for saying that because, uh, yeah, I think uh, part of the reason I relate in a profound way to writers like Flaubert or Nabokov, and this is not a stylistic thing now, this is actually a temperamental thing, Flaubert or Nabokov or Naipaul or for that matter, John Kutzeer is that I see all of them as writers who have an extremely intense experience of mundane reality it's almost as if the light is too bright for them the light of reality sets their frequencies going in a way that they can barely tolerate and that comes across in the pages quite apart from stuff quite apart from political content or anything like that there's a certain intensity of encountering the world that is simply exhausting and i feel that that's my experience of life Maybe in a different world, I would have ended up being a prophet or an ecstatic. In my case, it's, it's expressing itself in the form of art. What it means is that, and I've never felt so well understood as when I was reading Virginia Woolf's diaries. Her unhappiness, when it comes, is extremely intense. You feel for her. But when she enjoys the world, when she goes out for a walk in the evening and she, she, she sees the light of the lamps coming on in London on a foggy evening her pleasure in the substance of life is so intense and so real that you feel one with it and that's the experience I have of life so you would not I would not give up the sorrow in order to have a less intense experience of the pleasure of life as well Um, and I think I, I think it does feed my work
0: well, that was Teju Cole, and uh, if you would like to find out more, the book that he's written is called Open City. It was published in 2011. It's a, it's a really interesting book. I guess he called it a patient book. But if he, he doesn't just write, it's not just about Open City, that he has things to say. He also has a great deal to say about a lot of things, and he tweets uh, enormously. If you'd like to find out more, probably best to visit his site. You can Google him. It's Teju, and that's spelled T-E-J-U-C-O-L-E, T-E-J-U-C-O-L-E dot com you